right, well, <clears throat> I'm going to just read to you uh, from Luke. Don't worry about uh, turning there unless you really want to, because I'm not going to be preaching out of this passage. I just want to, again, just read a brief few verses on the resurrection, and then we'll get into the actual text on the resurrection that we're going to be talking about today. So I'll start in Luke 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. This is the ladies, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. If we then go to the book of 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says this in verse 17. He says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that means those who have died as Christians, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I want to read that again. They're very strong words. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Why? Why, if we only have hope in this life, are we to be pitied more than any other people? These are such strong words. Why, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, are things so bad? You see, there's many people who have said things like this to me. When I've told them I'm a Christian, I'm so glad you believe in something. And so their perspective is, I'm just happy that you believe in something. And really believe in it. I'm so glad for you. And you know what? It kind of strikes me that they're not actually that fussed what I actually believe. They're just pleased that I believe in something. But Paul is saying here, if you believe in Jesus and he hasn't actually risen from the dead, you are to be pitied more than all people. Paul doesn't say, I'm really glad for you. I'm really glad Jesus hasn't risen. He says, I pity you. If you believe something that isn't true, I feel sorry for you because you are giving your life for something that isn't actually true. And it's interesting how it seems to be that in our sort of current culture and uh, society, that it seems like people aren't really that fussed about the content of what people believe. But the big deal is, is you know, it's nice if you've got something to believe in. Just don't, don't go too crazy. And don't try and put it on me. Okay? But if you believe in something, that's lovely. But, so what we find is, is that our culture has a mentality about belief that is really foreign to the Bible and therefore really foreign to God. The way God views belief is very different. God is, is very, he seems that he's coming in with some real strong stuff in terms of conviction and genuine belief. And it really matters him, particularly that Jesus has been raised from the dead. You see, what you, really, what you believe determines how you live. 
It determines everything. What you believe determines your value system. And even you might be here with someone and you might be thinking, you know what, this doesn't apply to me because I don't really believe anything. Everybody believes something. So even if you don't have a well-thought-through belief system, you do have a belief system. Even if you couldn't articulate it in a creed and say, oh, but like Christians, do we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And you couldn't do that. Nevertheless, you do have an understanding of what you think life is about, and that determines your attitudes, values, priorities, and the way that you live. We all do. So the issue isn't do you believe or not. The issue actually is do you believe the truth? Or not. So we've got to be able to locate that today and get into that because it's really, really important. It won't do to simply say, well, some believe and some don't. Everyone does. Everyone believes. They just believe different things. And some will formulate it more clearly than others. But even if you're one of those who says, I can't formulate it clearly, if you just took some time to think through, what do I think about life? What do I think about why I'm here? What do I think is important? You'll begin to see what your belief system is. And so we're going to be looking at some of these things today. Christians, if Jesus hasn't risen, we are in big trouble. Can I just get an amen to that? We are in, we really are. We're up the creek. We're really wasting a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of passion, a lot of everything. We, we are in big, big trouble. So um, uh, why are, Christ, are Christians in trouble if Christ hasn't risen? Here's why. Because the essence of being a Christian is that you've been joined with Christ. And so what is true of him is true of you, to a certain degree. That is the essence. If someone says, what is he at this heart? What is being a Christian? It is being joined with Jesus, united with Christ through faith. That you are joined to him, that you become one spirit with him. And so that all these amazing things that are true of him somehow become true of you in a very mysterious and yet concrete and real way. So what is true of him becomes true of you. He's the son, the son of God. When you become a Christian, we are taught that we become sons of God. Men and women. Why? Because we're all heirs. Bible times, the sons were the heirs. That's why we're called sons. It's, it's, It's wider than a gender thing. We're all sons. Why? Because we are joined with the son. We're told in the Bible that Jesus is the beloved. Do you know what we are, Christians? We are Beloved of God. Jesus prayed prayers like, thank you, Father, that you love, that you love them in the same way that you love me. It's incredible. We are the beloved of God. Jesus is accepted. He is totally received by the Father. Do you know the way the Bible describes us, Christians? Accepted in the beloved. We're embraced by God. Welcomed. Why? Because we're in him. And he is. What, is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's his Standing, you're in him, that's your standing. He's the righteous one. Christians, we're justified. Which means what? It means God declares you righteous. Look in the mirror tomorrow morning when you get up. (laughs) Unimpressive as it may be. And say, you're righteous. And then have a shower. It's it's what the Bible says. The God himself declares us righteous. Why? Because Jesus is righteous and you're in him. There he is. Is that it? That's it. Jesus is holy. He's holy. That means he's set apart for the purposes of God. Do you know what you are, Christian? You are holy. The Bible calls you a saint. It means you're a holy one. So, next time you fill out a form on a census or something, saint. 
and then your name. So we wouldn't do it, would we? But I think that, I know you would, Hilda, but I think that it's great to have a mother-in-law like this. It's, it's fantastic. You laugh at all your jokes and everything. It's, uh, but it's important and vital that you know at your heart what is God's word over you, you're saying. Why? Because you're in the Holy One. You're joined to the Holy One. How could all this be? It's God's work. God's done it. It's a beautiful and incredible thing. So what then if Jesus hasn't been raised into resurrection life? Neither of you. There it is. If Jesus hasn't been raised, neither of you. That's the point. If Jesus hasn't been raised with an indestructible life, don't even begin to think you've got eternal life. It's not true. Why? Because what is true of him is true of you. That's the faith. So if he hasn't ra- been raised, you're dead in your sins. You understand that now? Because the essence of the faith is you being joined to him. Where he goes, you go. He's risen, ascended, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. That's why the Bible says that believers are seated with him in the heavenly places. Wow. What a position to be in. That's why we pray with authority. That's why we pray with confidence. That's why we live with confidence. Because we know who we are in Christ. We know where we are in Christ. It's our position. God has made us to rule and reign. God has made us royal. Royal priesthood. A holy nation. It's who you are if you're in Christ. Incredible. If he's still dead, so are you. Because you're joined with him. You're a pitiful object. For you cling to one, believe in one, and pray to one, and love one who can do nothing for you. He's dead. If that's the case. But what if he's not dead? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. It's where we're going to hang around today. This is the one. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'll read that again. If anyone is in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. What does it mean to be in Christ? Because if this is true of you, you need to know, man, am I in Christ? I want to. What does it mean to be in Christ? It means not just that your grandma was a Christian, you know, and you've got some kind of heritage there. It means not just that you were baptized as a baby, not just that, you know, when you fill out a form and it says religion, you write Christian. That is not what it means to be in Christ. It means that you have fallen into him entirely. You have entrusted your entire identity, past, present and future to him. You have joined yourself to him. He is your now your boast. He is now the one that you delight in and rejoice in. He is the one that you um, sing about, uh, live for, speak for, represent. You are wrapped up in Jesus. He's your only hope. He's your shepherd, your captain. You look to him. He's your older brother. He's filled you with his spirit. You're in him. It's what you are now. That's a Christian, okay? A bit fanatical, eh? Kind of, yeah. That's kind of all or nothing. Because when God gives his one and only son and then offers that his one and only son will indwell you by his spirit, it's kind of insulting to have a bit of that. Why don't I have a bit of that? Yeah. I count me in for some of that. No. No. All or nothing. In or out. Adopted or alienated. Friend or 
or foe. Dead or alive. Under grace or under judgment. That's the deal. You need to know where you are. You need to know where you are. It's very, very important. Because these incredible promises that are made are made to those that are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ. If anyone finds their identity now in him. Well, if you are in him, what does it say of you and what does it mean? And if you're not, what would it mean for you to be in him? What is God inviting you into? You are a new creation. Number one. You are a new creation. Now you might think, hold on, I've been a Christian 10 years, so actually I'm not a new creation anymore. I'm 10 years old now. If I was a car, I wouldn't be doing too well. 10 years. Let me just explain how new life works. It gets newer. It doesn't work like, you know, things work for us. Your favourite thing that gets worn out. No, new life gets newer. The Bible says we're being renewed inside daily. It, it's, it works in reverse to how things work naturally, okay? It's like, it's, if, you're, if, you're, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a brand new creation. You are newer today than you were yesterday. How cool is that? So you're a new creation. Why? Because Jesus, in his resurrection, is the first fruits of the new creation. Now, do you know what the first fruits are? If you're into gardening like myself... What you'll find is, is uh, you'll find that when you're growing stuff, there's a little crop that comes through first. And, and in, the, in the Bible times, the first fruits was holy. Because what it was, it was like, wow, look, it's a sign of God's blessing and the blessing that's to come. So what you would do is you would take the first fruits and they would, you would offer them to the Lord. That's why when we teach about giving, what we say is, is, is t- the finances that you have, the resources, take the first fruits and offer them to the Lord. Why? Because that's, it's, it's a pattern throughout Scripture. It's your way of saying, Lord, I recognise everything that I have comes to me from your good, kind hand. And I want to honour by, by offering it back to you, not the dog ends, whatever I've got lying around, but the first fruits. They're holy to the Lord, you see. Now, the Bible describes Jesus' resurrection. It says, he's the first fruits of the new creation. This is very massive. It's very extraordinarily massive. What he's saying is, is that what happened in Genesis, Genesis 1, with the creation of the heavens and the earth, something akin to that happened at the resurrection of Jesus. It was the first moment in the new creation. Jesus is the first fruits and you are joined with him. God is in the process through Christ of restoring all things. I wish I could speak in a way that would help you to understand the magnitude of this. Because it was one man in a little corner of the world that perhaps people didn't know much about. And yet what God is doing at the moment of resurrection is he is starting creation that will end on a cosmic level. He's restore, it's the beginning of him restoring all things on a cosmic, universal level. It's very, very massive, very, very huge indeed. There's going to be a brand new creation under the headship, under the headship of the new man, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, as the Bible calls him. It will finale with the recreation of the new heavens and the new earth, but it's been kick-started already at the empty tomb. He is a new creation in that sense. And in, the, in a more amazing sense, he's the chief of the new creation and you're in him. So guess what? You're a new creation. 
What does that mean? It means this, the old has gone. And I'm going to labour this one today just so you really get it. Because this is God's word which means it has authority. I'm not bringing an opinion to you today, I'm preaching right out of the text. The old has gone. Let's work out what does that mean. It means that your shameful and regrettable deeds have been forgiven, you've been washed, the Lord has separated them from you as far as the east is from the west, and we are told that he will remember them no more. It doesn't say he forgets them. Forgetfulness is a sign of weakness. He chooses to remember them no more. It's much more intentional. You have said, done, thought, vile and shameful things. We all have. When you become a Christian, you realise it all the more. Suddenly, you become very aware of what you were and what you still carry within you. Some of the things that come into your mind, you think, oh my goodness, did I just, not just think that for a moment, but get quite into that. Did I really do that? Did I really say that? It's part of the old Christian, it's gone. That's the word of God to you. It's gone. You've got to receive that for yourself, which means receiving God's forgiveness in a full and meaningful way, and you've got to express it to others, which is why love keeps no record of wrong. It's gone. The old has gone. The shameful, the regrettable, the things that make you drop your head, the things that can trap you in a moment. You know the things? There will be things that if you go there, you will become trapped in shame and guilt again. It's gone. Why? Because God's nice? Well, he is, but that's not the doctrine. The doctrine isn't the niceness of God. The doctrine is the death of Christ. Where all of that guilt, shame and horror and judgment that our sin deserves, he took in his body on the tree. He bore our sins in his body. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. There it is. The old has gone. Secondly, the old has gone in the sense that the Bible says that by the blood of Christ, we've been redeemed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers. No matter how good our parents were, there would have been things they didn't said, values they had that were futile. The word in the Bible for futile means empty, it means going nowhere. It's not got anything to it. Things like dislike of responsibility. Some families... Some parents nurture their children into running from responsibility. The Peter Pan syndrome. Never grown up. It's futile. You've been redeemed from it. It's gone. It's totally inappropriate for you to live in that as a believer. Why? Because you're living in the old. And the old has... It's gone. It's gone. And there needs to be a ruthlessness in our hearts when we recognise, especially with our parents who we love and who we honour, that there are things that they've said and done that we don't want to take on and into the next generation. And by God's grace, we need to continue to love and honour them, but say no to certain things in our own lives. I'm not going to live in that. I'm not going to do it. Some other examples for you. Avoidance of hard things. Maybe you got brought up in just an environment where when things got tough, the head went in the sand. Or quick, let's move. It's futile. It's immature. It's gone. It's part of the old. You can walk free from that. Volatile ways. Maybe you got brought up in a volatile household 
where, you know, when the pressure got on, people just started, got volatile with one another. Things getting thrown around or people getting shouted down. I tell you, it's futile. It kills people's spirits. It's part of the old and it has gone. You've been redeemed from that by the blood of Jesus. You can walk away from that. You don't have to live under that. Perfectionism where everything was about how well you've performed, what kind of grades you've got. You see, you know, I want to just speak into this Holy Spirit moment. Here it comes. Some of you that are studying, what does the Lord require of you to do your best? There it is. If your best is a pass, then your pass is your worship. Praise God for the pass that you got. Here it is. You can, that you can live in that one for life. God requires nothing more from you than your best effort. He doesn't require... He's not like those parents that, that say, 9 out of 10, you should get 10. That's, that is bad parenting. The question should be, always, did you try your best? No, then you need to bring a correction to your children. Yes, well done, regardless of the score. Perfectionism is futile, ungodly, because it, it, what it's rooted in is not a godly desire for things to go well. It's rooted in a sense of trying to prove oneself, and it's a killer. Control, maybe you're in a controlling environment at home. It's a controlling scenario and situation. Sooner or later, you're going to have to walk away from that. You can't live under that can't. Why? It's futile. It's ungodly. It's not the way God leads and demonstrates and uses his authority. So it's an ungodly use of authority. You can't live under that. It's part of the old. It's gone. So you walk away from it. It's what Jesus released you from. Sexual perversity. Maybe you've just been brought up in an environment where there's just, just things sexually that, you know, just that the Lord says, this, this is a really nasty dark thing there. As a believer, you've kind of carried it in. The old is gone. By the power of the Spirit, you can walk free from that. Why? Because what Jesus has done for you. It's, I'm, not just, I'm not getting on you saying, well, I'm saying Jesus has done it. He's beaten those things. They are beaten enemies. <laughs> so you can just walk away from them. Not always easy. Involves a fight. But God's word to you is this. The old is gone. It's not that I'm saying, oh, it's just simple. What, don't make a fuss. I'm not saying that at all. It's a fight. But I'm saying God's word to you and it is, it's gone. Receive that, because that's where the victory starts. Occult and superstition. Some people bring superstition into their Christianity and they get this bizarre mix. It's a bizarre mix. It's like everything becomes a Gideon's fleece moment. <laughs> Lord, I'm going to go down this street, and if this happens, then that means that. And it's like, you can't live like that. God, I'm going to walk down here, and if someone smiles at me, then that means I should go out with that person. You can't live like that. It's crazy and immature and mad. And so much pastoral stuff. You talk to people, and you're being superstitious. It's like throwing the pepper over the shoulder, but with Jesus in it. It's crazy. It's not answered prayer. Answered prayer is when you ask the Lord to do something, and he does it. It's really straightforward. It's not sort of chance and reading everything into everything and, you know... Oh, I saw two pigeons yesterday. <laughs> What's the Lord saying? Well, probably not much about the pigeons. 
Shall we say loads of things that if you just got in the word, you'd get loads of stuff. But the pigeons, just flying around. That's what they do. Just, I'm trying, but yeah, you find it. And it, superstition is all about fear. It's all about fear. It's not about love. It's all about fear. People are gripped. Oh, because God might be saying that now. What do you mean God might, God might be saying anything? What do you mean God might be saying that? Well, it was cloudy. What? It was cloudy. So, God, you know, it kind of been happy. What are you thinking? And it's reading everything into everything. And what it is, is just superstition and fear. And it's futile. And you've been released from it. Yeah? It's great, isn't it? Woo! Weak me- Maybe you're from a family of weak men or violent men. It's futile. It's gone. Or maybe you're from an environment where the women are dominating and controlling. It's futile. It's gone. You walk away from it. You don't, walk, don't live in there. Or where there's bitter rivalry and envy. And where when someone does well, no one likes it. And so now, even now, you're a bit funny about doing well. Or, or you, don't, you struggle when people do well. You need to walk away from that. You've been redeemed from that. So now you can rejoice with people's successes. And use your gifts to the max for the glory of God. Yeah? Freedom. This is what the, it's very, very earthy, this freedom we've got. We are new creations. The old is gone. Maybe you're from a situation where there's emotional shutdown. You go home after not seeing your parents for a year. Hello, son. Good to see you. To your coffee. I will put the kettle on. Why is that? It's such a crazy English thing. No cuddles. No, no, no cuddles going on. You need to walk away from that. My background is, you know, my background is kind of a bit like that. No one says, I love you. We all know we do. And we kind of, at the end of the phone calls, we sort of, both, probably both ends of that. See ya. <laughs> Just that. Physical affection. No, in public, don't do that. That's what me and Domini got together. She said, what is it with you? I cuddle you and you go, oh. you go, what's this? I'm like, yeah, I know. Leave me alone. <laughs> Don't ever go at me. She's like, you've got to come out of that. I said, I know, I have, I know, I know. You know? And I had to make myself do it. Make myself. Why? Because I didn't want to cut a word? No, not at all. But why? There was just an inexplicable, I would just get gripped with embarrassment, fear, that I had to walk out of that. Why? It's futile. It's built on fear and ridiculous, stupid things. And the blood of Jesus redeemed me from that. I'm a new creation. The old has gone. Or maybe you're from a situation where everything is drama. <laughs> Everything's drama, right? Every ah no, ah! it's every or everything. It's all ridiculous. It's all you're all drama kings and drama queens. And you know what? You do people's heads in because <laughs> everything is OTT. You need to walk away from that, okay? Because it's futile, and you're going to wind a load of people up, okay? Yeah, you got to learn. Actually, do you know what? I just made the tea too strong. I didn't need to go skimming around the house and ring up my mum. Yeah, it's cool. I can make another one. Yeah? Okay. Perspective, wisdom, maturity. Been <laughs> read from these things. Or maybe you're from a family where everything's secret. Your sister's got a job. No, sister's got a job. Well, why can't I say anything? Oh. Why is that? It's crazy. You get it? 
built on paranoia, secrets. Everyone's got secrets, and they're not even secrets. But they're secrets. It's this environment of secretive, crazy stuff. The old is gone. It's ridiculous. It's built on fear. It's nonsense. The old is gone. It's perished. It's been destroyed by the victory of Jesus. Hallelujah. Traumatic experiences have been through. The old is gone. The old is gone. A sick and deceitful heart that was utterly corrupted. The old is gone. Disease. The old is gone. Death. The old is gone. The new has come, which means all things become new. Starts on the inside. When you become born again, the Bible describes it like God taking out your heart of stone. The heart is at the seat of the affections. It's the most internal part of who you are. It's beautiful. You've got to get this. When you're born again, when you become a Christian, that, that the most core part of you is taken out and a brand new one is put in. Heart of stone out, hard heart, heart of flesh in, heart that, is, that beats, just beats for the glory of Christ. Just beats for God. There it is. And you don't look very different straight away. I, I st- there's this photograph of me on my way to my baptism. And it's just the most embarrassing photograph you've ever seen. Because I was utterly ridiculous before I was a Christian. I mean, utterly in every way. I became a Christian in August, got baptised in November. Was definitely born again by the grace of God. And yet I look at this photo and I think, you still look completely absurd. I mean, your facial expression, the way you're carrying yourself, you look like you think you're rocky. You are, but with crazy permed hair. I mean, you're just absurd in every way. Yeah? I didn't look that different. There was still a lot. There's, you know, there's still a lot to be done. There's still a lot to be done. But you know what's happening? From my innermost point, God has made me a brand new person. And that is working its way out and will culminate in a brand new glorified body one day, which will fit all that God has done by his grace. The two will fit together. Whereas now, the outer man decays, though inwardly we're being renewed day by day. God has a body for us at our resurrection that will fit that inward renewment. A body that I guess that will get newer every day as well and will last for eternity. The new has come. Now, at this point, some of you may just um, argue something. You may argue that maybe I'm a bit confused. Maybe I'm jumping the gun. Maybe I'm just kind of like proclaiming stuff that's it's almost like, Steph, you sound like you should be like living in kind of heaven already. Or Have you gone a bit too far? Have you got what they call an over-realized eschatology? Do you know what that means? It mean, eschatology is about Jesus' return. Over-realized basically means that your kind of, your expectations and your, your, your way of thinking is as if he's already returned and like everything's been dealt with. Are you being just crazy, optimistic, theologically askew here? Well, look at Paul's tense in this scripture. The old has gone, the new has come. Okay? It's not future tense. It's something that's been done. This is something that has been accomplished. Now, the Bible is clear. I want you to get this. This is what we're going to conclude on. This is where you've got to engage your brains a bit more. In, we're going to get a little bit tight theologically for a few minutes just so you understand this. Okay? The Bible is clear that there is a very clear demarcation point between this age and and the next when Jesus returns and ushers in the new age. The Bible is very clear. There is a demarcation line between the age we live in and the age when Christ returns. Amen? Amen. The Bible is also clear that there isn't. 
All right? You've got to get this, because what you do, I'm going to show you where you go wrong if you believe just one of those statements in just a moment. I want to help you to understand it, because this will really help you as a believer get your expectations right for the age that we live in, biblically. What can I really expect from God? Because I know things are still kind of, devil's still around doing stuff. I know Jesus hasn't returned yet. I know, you know, creation's kind of still bound up in futility. It's not the new heavens and the new earth yet. What can I really believe God for, if anything? I want us to just work that one through, because that will really, hopefully, um, help us. Okay. There isn't a clear demarcation line between this age and the next age because everything has been utterly accomplished in order to ensure the final victory. And it's as good as done. Okay? There's a very, very real sense in which it's as good as done. The thing is accomplished. If you go back to the cross, there Christ won everything. Okay? So when he said it is finished, he's not just talking about you know, his, his work for our forgiveness. He's talking about his work for the bringing about of the entire new creation. Okay? It is finished. Hallelujah. Okay? So you've got to understand that um, so that you get things right in your mind. It is done. There is a clear demarcation line between the age we live in and the one to come because God's got a schedule. God's working things out in time and space in a program, and Christ is yet to return. But spiritually, everything's been accomplished that needs to be to ensure that that will surely happen. So, the kingdom has come. Alright? God's kingdom has come, and God's kingdom is ever-increasing. And yet, God's kingdom has not come fully, but will when Jesus returns. Do you understand that? I want to go for that again so you understand. God's kingdom, which is what? It's not a place like, you know, the kingdom of Denmark. It's, it's, the, it's the rule and reign of Jesus. Okay? It's, 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 it's God establishing um, his rule and reign through the lordship of Jesus in, in wherever it goes. So when I became a believer, oh, the kingdom of God has come in Stephen Liston. Okay? Jesus rules there now. Okay? That's, that, so we, when we say we're looking to bring the kingdom to Camden, Islington, this area, what are we saying? We're saying we're looking for the rule of Jesus to impact all over the place, okay? So that's the kingdom. The kingdom has come, because the king has come. That kingdom which has come is ever increasing, and yet that kingdom has not been fully inaugurated yet, but will be at Christ's return. Now, how we just work that out in terms of expectations? Because let's take that template and put it onto our lives. What does that mean for your life, my life, individually and as a church? It means this, that our lives should display the pattern of kingdom come increasingly. Okay, That should mark our lives, that the rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ is seen in and through our lives increasingly, that there is, um, how can I put it, there's no sense of plateauing in our relationship with God. Does that make sense? That there is evidence, wow, 
God is at work in that person's life. They're being changed. They're not, imagine someone looking on who's not changing their look and say, you, you, you're maturing, you're growing in God, you're, you're praying in a way now that you never used to, you're seeing answers to prayer in incredible ways, you're finding it easier and easier to point people to Jesus, you're, you're walking in freedom and joy and peace and love, you're growing, this, you're, not, you're not just where you were, there's a progress and a movement about your life. That's called God's ever-increasing kingdom. God loves that. That's what he wants our lives to look like. With the knowledge that perfection awaits the return of Christ. So there's progress, there's movement, there's growth, there's development, but there's not perfection. Okay? There's always things being worked through. We are awaiting people. Although we are totally enjoying all that God's doing now, we're awaiting people. We're longing for Christ to return. Now, here's what happens when people get it wrong. Two ways of getting it wrong. The first way is this, that people just go for totally, God's kingdom's come, it's ever increasing, it's all here, go for it. Okay, with no awareness and no interest in, but Jesus is going to return and put all things right. What happens to those people who just focus, maybe this is you, you just focus on, well it's all been done and it's in here and now, come on, let's just run all into it. Here's what will happen if you only focus on that. You will lose your sense of anticipation. You will lose your sense of, Jesus is coming. And when you read the New Testament, all the way through it, what you find is this sense of, Jesus is coming really soon. And whenever that anticipation begins to ebb in your heart, ask yourself a question, where am I going wrong? Because it's a sign of bad Christian health when you're not excited about Jesus returning. Something, something in your emphasis and thinking is wrong. Okay, you, You're missing that. And also what will happen is, is that it will foster, I will describe, a defeating frustration in you. Why? Because you won't be able to handle it when the person you're praying for to be healed doesn't get healed. But the kingdom's come and it's ever-increasing and it's all here now and Jesus has done it and he said it is finished and why isn't this person healed? Or when someone dies, you think, but you, it, will, it will cripple you. It will pull the rug out from your feet. You will be utterly confused. Why? Because you've neglected the fact there's a day coming when Christ will return, when every wrong will be made right, when there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more death, no more destruction. That day is coming, you see? But you've, you've, you've lost that focus, so it's all on that. Now, here's, what, here's where the person goes wrong. You only focus is on that. Jesus is coming again soon. And they don't focus on the kingdom has come. He's done it all. It's ever-increasing kingdom. Here's what happens with that person. Um, there's no expectation for God to really do much. Because why? Why? Because it's, it, it, what happens is it's all about, well, Jesus will come at some point and then everything will be all right, but until that point, it's just going to get really bad. Yeah? And what happens is it's like a, it's like a besieged mentality. And it's just, it's just, it's just hold up, close the doors, guys. Let's just hold up in the theatre and who knows, what the heck, he might come back today. That'd be great. And it's just all that. And it's just focused on this kind of remnant kind of idea of it's just us and we just got to hang on and let's not backslide and, you know, we can't expect God to do loads, you know, because Jesus hasn't come back yet. And what happens is your expectations drop for the here and now and you get into a besieged mentality. It's unhealthy. It's unhealthy. If you hold on to both, here's what should happen. 
a Philippians 3 momentum over your life. Paul in Philippians 3 talks about this upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he's talking about the, the, the trajectory of his life on earth. He's not saying he's going to take me away. He's talking about this. He's constantly calling me forward. I forget what's behind. I strain towards that what's ahead. He's, there's a man going somewhere. There's no sense of plateau. Now, in the Christian life, there is pruning. Pruning is where you're growing and bearing fruit. And God says, hey, that's great. I really want you to bear more fruit, so I'm going to really cut you back. And that's a bit painful because you feel like you've really shrunk, okay? But that's different from plateauing. Plateauing is when you just stop growing. If you, get, if you understand, I am part of a kingdom now, a resurrection, new life kingdom, which is ever increasing, then there's this momentum, there's this growth, there's this development. Um, fruit, you're bearing more fruit, you're bearing much fruit, you're bearing lasting fruit. You've got, you've, you've got big prayer requests, you're believing God for stuff. And yet you can handle imperfection. A bit like the New Testament, hey? Massive breakthrough, fierce opposition. Amazing miracles and yet illness. Illness was around. Paul says to the Galatians, I first stayed with you due to a bodily illness. Paul says to Timothy, listen, don't just drink water, have a bit of wine because your, your tummy's a bit dicky. It's kind of very, oh, okay, why don't you just lay hands and uh, he's like, have a bit of wine. You know, it's a... Paul talks about his friend Epaphras who they nearly lost to an illness and they, oh, God, God spared us. It wasn't overly triumphalistic. It was a sense of, okay, we're seeing amazing miracles and breakthroughs and healings, but, you know, we still sometimes get ill. There it is. Provision, incredible provision, and yet poverty-stricken churches in places. Advance. Gospel advancing throughout the known world, but all under the fist of the Roman Empire and all the oppression that that meant. You see how it works? God's kingdom has come. It's ever-increasing. And yet until Christ returns, we will live in this tension of things not always working out exactly as we would have liked them to. Jesus is risen now. Jesus is building his church. Jesus will return to govern all things perfectly. I will finish by reading that scripture again, which hopefully makes much sense now. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. But Christ has been raised Therefore, our faith is not futile, and we are no longer in our sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who have died as Christians haven't. They are with the Lord. And believe me, they're having a great time. A really great time. If in Christ we have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in Christ we have hope for this age and the age to come. Therefore, we are of all people to be most envied. Father, thank you for this new life. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you the old has gone. That it has no authority over us. And though it barks and shouts and screams and pretends and lies and deceives, it is gone. And the new has come. And I thank you, Father, that we can walk in the new in an ever-increasing way. That's what you're doing. That's what you're about. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.